the centerpiece is the church. Um, and so that's what that's what's being described here. The new heavens and the new earth with the centerpiece, the church. Uh, and if you are giving your life for Christ, following Jesus, if you are learning how to be like him and love like him and love him and love his church, then this is what you are investing into. This is where it's going. OK, this is this is this is why it's all worth it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates on the north, three gates. On the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. With its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy. And let the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. Bring in my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful scripture. And um, let, it, let, it, let it do what it does, Lord. Let it do what it does in our lives. And help me and help all those who listen to, um, to be fed, truly, truly fed by your word. And we just declare, Father, that your son, Jesus, is the word, the living word. We pray, Jesus, your presence by your spirit would be powerfully with us. Amen. Now, there's a risk with this passage. The risk is it can seem so far removed from what you were experiencing before you walked into this room. That you think, okay, great. How does this work with my life? How does this work with just day-to-day living? That can be the risk. It can seem very, very far removed, almost fantasy-like. And so the main, I really have two main points of this sermon today, very simple. Two main points to really try and help us uh, in that regard. Firstly, the first point is this. Everything that we have just read about there is simply the, uh, the, the, the full flower of what we are experiencing now if we're Christians. It's the same thing. It's not like we ha- when we become Christians now, we experience something. And then when the end comes, we experience something else. And there's, it's got sapphire foundation stones and it, it's just totally different. That's not it. What's being described here in highly symbolic pictorial language is really just the full experience of all that we have started to experience now. It is the same thing. Okay, it's really important that you get that. Otherwise, you, you begin in your mind. You can you can get into strange space in your mind and think that that that, that the life beyond the grave or life beyond the day of judgment is just so removed from anything that you experience now that you can just think it just seems on such a different, um, such a different of such a different ilk of such a different realm in every way that I don't know what to do with it. 
And we were having an interesting conversation as a family the other day about the new heavens and the new earth. It came up because one of them, one of the children said, oh, my friend's saying, we really doesn't want to go to heaven because we're going to be ghosts. And we won't be able to, when we go to kick a football, our foot will go straight through it. And so, don't want to, you know, don't, we're not really excited about it. And I said, no, we won't be ghosts. We, you know, we'll be just as physical. And it started this conversation. And when we got talking about it, then another one of my children said, so then why don't I look forward to it? I thought it was a brilliant question. And I think the reason perhaps why I don't much, and maybe many of us don't look forward to it, is because it just, in our mind, seems like a very different thing that we don't really know what to do with. And we think it will involve singing. Because uh, Christians sing a lot, and there seems to be a lot of singing going on. But other than that, we don't really know. And even though we might really like singing, eternity and singing is a tall order. Do you know what I mean? And you can find yourself thinking, oh, do you know what? And then you find people saying things like, I'm really, really looking forward to Jesus' return. I, I just hope he doesn't do it yet. Ever thought that? Or heard yourself say that? Or heard that said, you know, I, I'm up, I, that sounds great. But I just hope I get a bit longer. Because there's some stuff I really want to enjoy. You know, there's some food I really want to enjoy. But in heaven, my hand will go straight through it. It's, it's, it's the football thing, but 20 years on. Do, do you know what I mean? So, we've got to realize that this, this what we're reading about, is really, it's just, it's just, the full expression of what you are experiencing now, the best bits of being, uh, well, the best bits of human life, the bits, um, the bits that are uh, God-given and, and for our enjoyment, which we'll maybe look at some of those in just a moment. So that's really important that we, that we understand that, um, you know, that, that we'll still have personalities. And that thing of, but when I recognize, <laughs> when I recognize, because we'll all look the same, because we'll all glow and, and the white cloak is the uniform, and do you know what I mean? It's that thing. And it's like, hold on a minute. Who created personality? Who created diversity? Who created taste? Who, crea- yeah, who, crea- who created these things? Do you, what, and, and if you say, well, people did. Yeah, people made in the image of God. And those things I've just mentioned are not distortions or sinful things. They're just beautiful expressions of God's creation. So it's really important that we, that we are understanding that that will really help us. Um, so um, God's aim for creation is not just weirdness. It's not God's plan at all. Hallelujah. It's all the best things that, wherever, that, wherever you just love sport. Anyone here just loves sport? Anyone here love adventure? All right. Anyone, anyone here like good wine? Now, then notice there was a split second pause before the, because it's like the are we allowed to moment. Anyone here enjoy friends? Anyone here enjoy like amazing views and scenery, that kind of thing? I mean, there's always going on about me. You say photographs of scenery. What about people? It's like, yeah, they do look better with people in it. That's true. <laughs> or who, who, who enjoys art? Anyone enjoy art? Who, who, in, who enjoys science? Don't be ashamed. It's cool. And somehow, don't ask me how. Don't ask me how, but surely... Surely all these, these things don't suddenly just disappear in the new heavens and the new earth. Surely not. It would, just, it would be a strange thing. But it's all these things without corruption. All these things without sin. All these things without disease. All these things without ruin and darkness. All these things without malice. All these things without death. It's amazing. All these things but no longer... Ruling God out or opposing him, but with him as the centerpiece. 
Which is a beautiful thing. Because you've got to remember back in the garden, the, the first lie that the devil told was that God's a spoil sport. The first lie. It says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? And God by his Holy Spirit has been trying to undo that one ever since in the hearts of humans. It's a wicked, wicked lie. It's a wicked, wicked lie. Him as a centerpiece means that the party really begins. And it always, and it continues to taste good the whole time. That's what it means. So that's the first point. All that is just this, but coming to its full conclusion. So you've started it now. The second point, main point is this. All that we enjoy now as Christians has been purchased at the cross, right? Every good thing, forgiveness, reconciliation with God, healing of your broken heart, all these things that you experience as a Christian are bought at the cross. All of these things we've just read about were bought at the cross. So the gospel buys salvation and salvation begins at eternity past when God chose you before the foundation of the earth. True to that moment where you made a decision to follow Jesus by his grace. All through the ups and downs of discipleship, the unexpected twists and turns. Oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Decades usually of discipleship. Through to final salvation and glorification where you are free from indwelling sin, corruption, sickness, death, frailty. And are fitted out to be able to handle the whole of the presence of God forever. All of that from there to there has been bought by the cross. Okay? So, so the gospel... That, that is salvation, biblically. We tend to talk about it in a very narrow way, just kind of this bit, when we make that decision for Jesus. And maybe, But the, the Bible is talking about salvation from start to finish, God's plan. All of it bought by Jesus. So those are the two main points. Those are the two main points. All of what we've read about is just the full flower of what we've started now, and the whole thing's been won by Jesus. Here's how I'm going to illustrate it. Um, Snickers. I hope there's Snickers in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, I love Snickers, uh, but I need to talk, keep talking clearly. So I'm going to ask uh, our good friend Dave Smith. Dave, good to have you back, Dave. Dave, come. Go on, Dave. Now, Dave. It's good to see you, Dave. It's good to see Dave, isn't it? Dave stitched us up and left us in the summer, but we still love him. Right, Dave. Now. One of the, um, don't you laugh, Si, uh, one, one of the, uh, we'll deal with you later. Um, one of the words the New Testament uses to describe our experience of Jesus now is, is a taste. It talks about tasting, okay? So here we have a Snickers. Dave, can you have a taste of that Snickers? In front, there, everyone can see what you're doing. Right, that's great. So Dave, you <laughs> So, Dave, are you tasting the Snickers? Yeah. Right, now, as Dave is tasting the Snickers, the question, I want, this is a real point. I want to ask you this question. Is Dave tasting of the actual Snickers? It's not a trick question. Yeah, it was easy, right? Yeah, he is tasting of the actual Snickers. Is he tasting all of the Snickers? Right, but he's really tasting of the Snickers, yeah? But not all of it right now, okay? Yeah, but it's not a different thing, is it? It's the same thing. Dave, you did that brilliantly, and as a result, you can have the Snickers. Well done. Right? Now, it's a really important point, because when the Bible uses the word taste, time and time again in the New Testament, it's saying exactly that. What you are, if you have become a born-again Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have tasted something. But it is, it is the, it is, you've tasted the powers of the age to come. 
is one of the ways the Bible phrases it. So what you have tasted in terms of the power of God to help you walk away from maybe sin, certain sins that once gripped your life, what you have tasted in the power of God to help you walk away from that is exactly the same power that you will be experiencing in the new heavens and the new earth. It's the same thing. Okay? But in this age, it's a taste. So it's totally authentic. What Dave had there was totally authentic. It, wasn't something, it was completely authentic, but it wasn't the full thing. And it's really important for us to understand that what we experience now is totally authentic. And when you read that, you are reading about things that you are experiencing now, but it's not fully realized yet until the return of Christ. So those really are the two main points. All I want to do now is go through a few of the points in this passage and show what it, look, what it looks like fully. Just refer to that and say, but what does it look like in this age? What is the taste like? Does that make sense? Yeah, what, what is it? what's the taste? What should we be expecting? What should we be looking for? Because this whole thing with salvation, if you're born again, resurrection has begun inside of you. There's a work that's going on. Res- the resurrection has begun inside of you. It will climax with the whole cosmos being resurrected. Okay, that's where it's going. Something's begun in you now. So the first thing is this, that the chaos is gone. In verse 1, we're told there's no more sea. And we've learned through the book of Revelation that the sea, the ocean, represents chaos, the chaos of the nations and the turmoil of the nations. There's no more chaos at all in the new heavens and the new earth, not even any uh, sense of foreboding of some chaos that may come in the future. There just is none. There is no more chaos. There is no more turmoil. There is no more disruption. Hallelujah. Um, no more potential for chaos. No more storms. Okay? It's, they're, just not, they're, they're gone. Gone forever. Fully realized. What does it look like as a taste? What gospel promise have we got? Well, it's Jesus in the boat. It's, you know, Jesus in the boat. He's asleep in the boat. There's a storm raging. And as the disciples are going, what do we do now? And they basically go, this is really scary. And they wake Jesus up. Jesus calms the storm and says, where's your faith? That's a lot of what the Christian life looks like, isn't it? There's a lot of storms. And sometimes you think, I'm going down. <laughs> this, is, this is the storm. And you're like, Jesus, you know that thing about you never leaving or forsaking me? Well, where have you been for the last three months? You know, it's that sort of thing, right? He's asleep in the boat. He's asleep in the boat. And then whenever you come through one of those seasons, because Jesus goes, enough, it's one word, and you go, oh, it's changed. Ah, that is a taste of what is to come. So if any of you have ever been through a storm, and then you've called out on Jesus, and he's, in, in quotes, woken up, said the word, enough, be muzzled, and the storm has ceased, and you've thought, wow, God, you just, you've done it. You are tasting now what will be your permanent experience in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? It's a taste. It's a taste. The Snickers. It's, it's, that's it. It's authentic. That is what it will be like. That sense of wonder. He's done it. He's either, he's either totally, totally transformed the situation or he's just, just done a work in me. Nothing's changed outside, but the internal storm is gone. I know the peace of God that goes beyond understanding. That's gospel promise. That's a taste. Now, I'm going to just go through this list quickly and then just quickly finish on um, practically. Okay, so cause you might, oh, yeah, we'll get to the practicals. Okay, and it's just one point to cover it all. Next thing is this. Verse 3, the dwelling place of God will be among men. That's the, that's the, in the final place, our bodies will be glorified so that we can e- experience the full presence of God. 
It's really important you understand that. Really important you understand that. Um, uh, at the moment, our bodies, the Bible describes them as various words like tents. It's kind of speaking of temporariness. Um, jars of clay, speaking of they're pretty normal and they have the tendency to crack. You know, they're just normal, uh, frail. We cannot in our current state physically uh, experience the fullness of the presence of God in the way that we will when we have our new body. It's just too much. I mean, I, I, you know, I have heard stories of, I remember Terry Virgo has a story of someone prayed for him once during a very powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And it got to a point where he was being so filled with the Holy Spirit, he was crying out for God, can you stop now? It's just too much. Just genuinely. Just, and ter- if you know Terry, you'll know he's not the sort of guy that would bat around things like that and exaggerate. He's a very, very humble man. But he just said, there came a point where I, just, this is, I, can't, I can't take this anymore. Too much power. And um, that's, that's, but that's, you see, our, our bodies in this age, we, we cannot handle the fullness of the presence of God. Um, so what does it look like in, in this age if we can't handle the fullness of presence? Well, the Bible says we can still be filled with the Holy Spirit. You think, well, okay, well, that doesn't that sound like the same thing? Now, basically what it means is this. For who we are now, we can be filled. So I'm a jar of clay now, and this jar of clay can be filled. But when I am whatever I will be in the new age, whatever you will be, something magnificent, then you can be filled in a completely different way for considering what vessel you are. But you can still live full of the Holy Spirit now. But what it means is, is that being full of the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily mean you'll be really impressive. It doesn't necessarily mean everyone will go, wow, when you walk in the room. You're still a jar of clay. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean you won't get it wrong. It doesn't mean you won't experience frailty. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. What it means is that you'll just be learning how to walk with God. But actually what it means in this age is in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. That's not comfortable. We all love singing about that sort of stuff. It sounds so wonderful, but it's not. It's actually really hard to, to walk in weakness. It really is. But that's what being filled with the Spirit in this age looks like. It's something of having a limp like Jacob. After you wrestled with God, there's this limp. Sometimes that's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. But what you can know is within that, within that frailty and unimpressiveness, I can know sweet fellowship with him. Sweet friendship and fellowship with him. And as a living stone, as I join with other believers together, we can make a dwelling place for God. And God in his mercy is happy to indwell us, even though we're not particularly impressive yet. How's that sound? It's taste. It's an authentic taste. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, no more sadness. No more sadness. So, what will it look like in full, in, 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 in the new heavens and the new earth? No more sadness ever. Now, those moments where your heart just dips. It's at my brother's wedding yesterday, and um, I've, got, I've, I've got a lot of brothers, but I've got identical twin brothers. And um, so, obviously, the other one was the best man. And I talked to him about the speech before the speech, and he said, when you, as soon as you mentioned it, my heart just went, oh, because he was dreading it. There's those moments in life where someone says something and your heart goes, oh. Or you see something and you go, oh. Or you think about something past and you go, ah. Or something you're in now and you think, ah. Or something ahead and you go, ah. No more sadness. None at all. What does it look like in this age? What's the gospel promise that we have? The gospel promise is that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And that we have to rejoice in the Lord always. Now this is really important. Particularly if you're a bit miserable. If you're on the miserable end of things, you can get defensive at this point. I've noticed that. Miserable people get really defensive when anyone preaches about joy. 
And they start saying things like, well, you haven't always got to be happy to be joyful and crazy things like that. Um, uh, it's just being defensive. That's all it is. It's being defensive. Joy is joyful. Profound comment of the week. Yeah, and I feel happy talking about this because, you know, I think sometimes I, I, I can be a bit glass half empty and I refuse to be defensive and I refuse to say this, that and the other. I want to know more and more of the joy of Jesus in my life and I will absolutely fight for it. And I think we need to fight for it because it doesn't, it, we're, in, we're, in, we're in a battle age still. We've, you've heard these last few weeks about Satan being cast down to earth and his wrath is great because he knows his time is short. There's a battle on. There's a battle on, which means some things you've got to fight for. But the gospel promises, rejoice in the Lord always. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. If I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, we're told that he was anointed with joy above his companions. So to become more like Jesus is to become more joyful. Did you know that? Therefore, I'm going to absolutely fight for joy. It's a gospel promise. So it doesn't mean that I'm always going to be swinging from the chandeliers. There, you know, there will be tears yet because of the age we're in. We're not in the age with no more tears yet. It's not the age we're in, but the age is coming. But there's tastes. There's tastes of joy. There's tastes of joy that goes beyond circumstances in this age that are true, authentic tastes of that joy that will be fully ours in that day. And I tell you, you've got, sometimes you have to fight for it. Sometimes you've really got to get hold of your mind and really get into, the, into gospel truth. Um, it doesn't just kind of doesn't just come. You've got to. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to let. I'm going to fix my mind on that which is true and excellent and praiseworthy, as we're told in the book of Philippians. And we begin to taste those things that are ahead for us. Amen. That's a real good thing. Fighting for joy. Uh, verse five. No more death. No more death. So, oh man. You know, which which means no more disease because disease is really just the first signs of death. So no more disease, no more death. In that age, there is no more disease or no more death. There is no more, there's no more physical uh, illness. There's no, there's no more. I mean, it's just like you're, you're fully free from that forever. Full and perfect health forever. Uh, what does that look like in this age? Um, well, we, we, we can get controversial. So I'm going to try and avoid as much controversy as I can. Um, I haven't got all the answers for why some people don't get healed and all of that. I haven't, and we're not going to go into that today. But I do absolutely believe that part of our inheritance in Christ, part of gospel promises, is for is for healing and recovery. I really do, and I I don't. I'm not making any claims. I don't. I don't want to get into the technicalities of it. Other than I know that when when I see when the King is around, what happens is a lot of healing goes on. And I know that in the, in the full age, when the, when the king is fully present in his creation, there will be absolute universal healing. Absolutely, there will be. But I believe in a kingdom, the Bible teaches about a kingdom that will continually increase. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The Bible talks about a kingdom that starts off like a stone and ends up like a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's growing. And so I absolutely expect more and more outbreaks of kingdom power and kingdom healing in our age. I think we can do that. We need to press on for that. And we don't fall down any of the strange pitfalls people fall down that get into healing. We're not going to do any of that guilt and shame, you know, if you don't get healed. No, of course not. But let's go for healing. Let's go, let's pray for healing out of compassion and love. If you've ever, if you've ever been really sick, then man, you'll know the, the wonder of what it is to be healed and no longer be in that agony, no longer be restricted. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. And so I just want to say, church, let's keep going for it. Let's just keep praying. Keep saying, God, share your compassion with us. Help us to press through in this area. I mean, on every other level of kingdom gospel life, we know it's a taste. 
You know, we don't get worked up. You know, people don't say, Steph, you've got to stop teaching because it's not as, your teaching just isn't quite as good as Jesus's. So you need to stop because it's incomplete. Well, I know that. I know that, but we still keep teaching. I feel God uses it. And I said, well, that person that prophesied back there, well, I think if Jesus had prophesied, it would have been better than that. You know, I think they might have said something at one point that just seemed a bit, I don't know. I don't like it. We prophesy in part. We prophesy in part, the Bible says. It's the age that we're in. So let's, let's, we go for teaching, we go for prophesying, let's go for healing. Is that all right? <laughs> okay, well, half of us, let's go for healing. The rest of you need to sort your theology out. Right, okay. Verse 6. Verse 6. It is done. What a, what a moment. It's done. I mean, wow. That's a, it, everything is done, you know? The whole thing's done. I mean, any of you here, you love, you hate loose ends and you love things getting finished. Any finishers here? Listen, there's going to be a moment where the Lord says, it is done. There's no more loose ends. There's no more, but what about, no. It's all wrapped up. The whole tapestry is finished. You can relax for the first time in your existence. There's those of us who like a bit of loose ends. I don't know what we're going to do with ourselves. We have to get out changed by the Lord. But, you know, so it's done. Now, that's what it's going to be like. But what does it look like in this age where it's certainly not all done? But we know that something is done, right? Jesus cried out, it is completed at the cross. Which means what we know for sure is what we live in now is that the work that has to be done to ensure the salvation of any soul on the planet has been done by Jesus. And the price for, all, for, the, for the sins committed and wrongs done has been paid for at the cross. And so that actually what it means now is that there is a sense in which is a Christian in Christ, I am complete. In a sense, I am. In a sense, I'm perfect. Do you know that? The Bible says that. Hebrews 10 verse 14. He is made perfect forever. By one offering, the offering of Jesus, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made perfect. Oh, that's a wonderful phrase. Perfect. It's done. Justified. I cannot be more in with God than I am today. In that age, I will not be more in than I am now. I'm in. Through Christ. Perfect. In Christ. I mean, Christ's perfectly righteous. He's given me his righteousness. I'm perfect. You must say, but, but you really are a work in progress, Steph. Guaranteed. I say, yeah, I know. He's made perfect those who are being made perfect. I know that. But I'm secure. As I see, as I go on and I see these bits of me, I think, oh man, I didn't know I was that ugly. I didn't know I was that cowardly. I didn't know. I think, God have mercy. God says, yeah, we're going to work on this. But I've made you perfect. It's good, isn't it? A few more than we're done. Verses 23 to 25, the whole place will be full of God's light. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, we will, we will fully know as we are fully known. We will fully know as we are fully known. Wow. Poof. So just the light, the light of God will so light up everything that I think, even though we will be physical, I think there will be a sense, a sense in which as well, it's a bit like in one, on one sense, we're see-through in the sense that there's just utter transparency. No more hiding, no more shame, no more fear, all these little dark, no, none of that, just fully. Whoa, isn't it beautiful? 
What does it look like now? Here's what it looks like. It looks like walking in the light. Walking in the light. I, 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 will, I will continue to keep short accounts with God. I will continue to bring even my worst bits to him and say, Lord, here it is. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to hide. I will confess my sins in appropriate ways to appropriate brothers and sisters about certain things and be healed. I'm, I'm going to, the Bible talks about that, confessing your sins and walking in the light with one another. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a pretender. It's dark. It's dark. I'm not going to try and be, I mean, this is a battle. <laughs> this, is, this is a battle. It really is. And I, I think when a, when a church gets the hang of the fact that we're all as bad as each other, we can start having good relationships. Because no one's pretending anymore. No one's pretending anymore. Uh, walking in the light. Let's just keep pressing on into that. No more hiding. God help us walk out of that, hey? It's really important. God help us with that. And then verse 2 of chapter 22. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. I love this. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Then there will be no more war, no more interracial, interethnic tension, conflict, none of that. All gone. Under Christ, all nations will be together around the throne. Every tribe, tongue and language. What does it mean for this age? Well, for this age, it means it's in the church, there'll be unity. In the church, that there will be unity between different nations. That we will find each other in Christ. And it means that we will go, we will absolutely be committed to reaching the nations. That we will be totally devoted to reaching the nations for Christ. Because we believe that in the new heavens and the new earth, all the nations will be gathered around the throne. And today is a big day because obviously we're about to send off Simon and Natalie. It's their last Sunday with us. They're moving uh, in the last few days of this month over to Frankfurt in Germany. Where they believe and we believe that the Lord has led them to, um, to, to plant a church. And to reach that nation with the gospel. And so I just want to give them a, a few moments. Maybe I think they wanted to say a few words. And so come up, guys. Come and, come and share your heart. Uh, Simon and Natalie. Wow, it's um, hard to think of what to share, really. Um, I think as just listening what Steph's been saying, we have really had a taste of something very, very good here at Revelation Church. Uh, for those of you that don't know us, we've been here, it will be eight years in March next year, so just seven and a bit years. Um, when we originally came to the church, there was a handful of people. Um, we looked very different and the church looked very different. Uh, we'd had become pretty broken, really had a pretty difficult uh, personal and church situation uh, we both got saved at university and had a bit of a rocky road originally and um, we didn't have much hope for church actually when we first came to revelation we'd uh, kind of lost hope in the concept of church and in in, in god's people and um, we came feeling a bit fed up and tired and uh, both of us when we walked into the, the school hall where it was first meeting then uh, just felt God speak to us almost straight away when we walked in it was far from what we were looking for we wanted a big church to get lost in and it was a little church where you could easily be seen and um, we both felt God saying to, that this was the place and to stay and um, it, that was definitely the right thing and God's done incredible things um, 
over the last seven years. Uh, he's, he's certainly restored us in many different areas. We've come to know and experience church as a wonderful and beautiful thing. We have tasted something really incredible in terms of the relationships we've made here. <laughs> You've got more than four words. Um, we've, yeah, we've had our three kids here in the church, been supported by the church, loved by the church, ups and downs. I've uh, been supported in my business, and it's uh, you know thriving, much thanks to all the people that have been praying and supporting us along the way. Um, we're leaving in a place of absolutely loving this place, of loving London. Uh, it certainly wasn't our original plan to be going to plot a church in Frankfurt. Uh, God just spoke to us quite clearly earlier this year and said to uh, to go. And so we're just being obedient to that call, really. We haven't got any uh, incredible plans as to what it will look like, but um, we're trusting that God is with us. And uh, it is with excitement and also incredible sadness that we're leaving here. We do uh, dearly, dearly love this church. Uh, we've made incredible friends and family here and uh we have you know we're going saying we've tasted something really beautiful in um being part of a family and uh we only hope that we can go and take some of that with us and replicate it and take it to germany because certainly germany needs reconciliation and um and the heart of jesus in that place and uh we're really excited about that and uh and so we hope that you will stay in touch be praying for us come and visit us uh, we would love you to do that. And uh, we very much see ourselves as being part of Revelation Church still, an extension of it, just over the water. Um, yeah, so thank you to all of you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. I don't want to say anything, really, because I'll be a sobbing mess if I do. But, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for your love. You've all been amazing and, yeah. Thank you. And do come and visit. We mean it. It's not, a, it's not an empty invitation. We really want to see you. Okay. <laughs> It'd be a bad way to finish, wouldn't it? Tripping over Natalie with the baby. Um, what we're going to do, the way, the way we're going to say goodbye to these guys, feel free to sit down for now. The way we're going to say goodbye to them is this. We're, at the end of the sermon, during the, the latter half of our service, when we break bread, we would just ask for people, they, we expect them to be eating a lot of bread and drinking a lot of wine. During the bread and wine, please just those of you that would consider them friends and you know you, you got you, 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 they're in your heart. Please just go to them, break bread with them, pray with them, be generous. I.e., don't hog ten minutes with them because we'd, we'd, we'd rather there just be a flow of people connecting with them through that time rather than a big circle around them because it's hard to connect with people when it's just when you're surrounded by huge numbers. Does that makes sense. So we just, just get a nice flow of people just around them, praying with them, connecting with them, loving them, saying goodbye. And then, and then at the end, we're asked that the, the kids and the youth would come in five minutes early. And then we'll just gather them here with their children and I'll just sort of pray a commissioning prayer, sending them. Is that cool? So that's, that's what we'll do. So we're not going to do there. But bless you guys. Thank you for, for that. Um, I'm using this and I've got another mic on. forgot. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so just uh, <laughs> a couple more points. A couple more points. Verse 4, seeing God face to face. You will see God face to face. That is immense. That is immense. Every time in the Bible where someone's seen God face to face, it's a vision. They're not seeing him face to face. It's a vision. The only person to ever see God was Moses. 
and he got to see his back. Okay? Do you know that? Right? So every encounter with God face to face is a vision in the Bible. The only person to ever see God was Moses and he saw his back. Because no one can see God's face and live. But then we're going to see him face to face. And I do not even know what to say about that. I've got nothing to say about that. It's just too awesome to even... You're going to see God face to face. It's like if you've ever been somewhere where someone of immense presence... You know some people just have immense presence... You know what I'm talking about? I don't know how to describe it, but you know when you meet them. And they catch your eye. You don't know what to do. It's that times you see them face to face. I mean, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. That is, that is your portion if you're a believer. What does it look like now? Well, I do think we need to be perhaps a, a bit cautious with our language. If you use face-to-face in this, about this age, it's probably not helpful. The Bible doesn't for a reason. That we do not experience God face-to-face in this age. We don't. We, we see him as in a mirror dimly, the Bible says. See, mirrors in the old days weren't like our mirrors. You had to look at... <laughs> oh, okay, right, yeah. It wasn't like our mirrors, you see yourself fully. In those days, they weren't like that. So when it says in 2 Corinthians 3, we see him as in a mirror dimly or a glass darkly, it's saying, you really, as, so in those days, you really would be your reflection authentically, but you can't see fully. That's our experience in this age. No matter how full of the spirit you are, no matter what degree of revival you're in, it will always be in a mirror dimly in this age. So, but it will really be him. So by the Holy Spirit, if you are born again, you are enabled to see him. In quotes, in some sense. But in the eyes of your heart, you get him. You, you cannot get Jesus, the real Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. Which is why you've got to be born again. Once you're born again, the Spirit of Jesus comes and lives inside of you. And he makes Jesus known to you. So you can know the true Jesus. And you can behold him, look upon him with the eyes of your heart. And love him and enjoy him and see him in that sense. So that's wonderful. So go for that. Because the Bible says that's how you are transformed from one degree of glory to another. By looking on him. Whatever you look on, that's what you're changed into. Whatever you feast your eyes on, you're changed into that. Whatever it is. You spend your whole time looking at just vile, nasty things. It, you, it's what you become. You look on Jesus, you're changed from one degree of glory to another. So it's very important. So we've only had a taste in this age of seeing him, but he's turned our lives upside down. What's it going to be like when we actually see him face to face? And then finally, we'll reign forever. We will reign forever. Imagine, remember Genesis 1, original mandate, subdue the creation, look after things, keep it all. Uh, uh, that, that's originally the mandate of humans to, on God's behalf, look after creation, which means authority, rule, subduing it in a God-honoring way. And that will be restored fully where we will reign with him. Incredible. We will reign with him over creation. So what does it look like in this age? Well, in this age, it looks like we learn how to walk in the authority of Jesus. Not authority over other people, but authority over the powers of darkness. Authority over sin. When sin says jump, I haven't got to jump anymore. I'm learning to walk in the authority of Jesus. Does that make sense? 
I haven't got to go, oh, okay, right. Oh, I've got better do that because I'm feeling tempted. No, I'm learning to walk in the authority of Jesus. I'm not doing that. That's not coming in. No. No. Jesus' name. It's really important. You know, sometimes the thoughts that literally invade my head. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. The most horrific things you can imagine. And at that moment, you will, you will hear me. No. In Jesus' name. What is that? It's authority. I'm not having that. I said, I've died to sin. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's something of walking in authority that we do in this age. We're tasting what it is to reign with Jesus. Fully completed then, but we'll taste it. Now, the question I want to ask is, all these gospel promises I've gone through, how do we, what? Does it just happen? Does it just kind of happen? These things are spoken about, you know, walking in authority, um, walking in the light, the joy of the Lord, do they, they just fall into our lap? No. Hebrews 6 verse 12 says this, that it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. There is a process God has ordained by which you walk into true Christian experience and it's faith and patience. So important you get this. Otherwise what will happen is, is it won't fall in your lap and you'll say it's not true. Or it doesn't work. Or it's just not like that for me. Or no, no, no. Through faith and patience, which means by taking God really seriously and saying, God, no, you said, Lord, this is what you said. And I'm not going to just give way. I'm not going to just say, well, I tried, it didn't work. No, no. You said, and then the, the next day I'm going to say, you said. Faith, but keep it on believing. Faith and patience. And what happens is, please trust me on this, your experience will begin to line up. You will begin to taste and inherit these gospel promises. Please believe me. Please, please. There is something for you to do. You have to engage in faith. How you started this Christian life, you said, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to trust you. Remember that time, whenever it was. You might have been three, you might have been 33. Whenever it was, maybe it's Jesus, I'm going to trust you. You carry on like that. With, with, with increasing vigor, with increasing understanding, with increasing maturity, you carry on like that. And as you do so, you will come into it. You will come into it. And I, why am I being so emphatic? Because I, I believe that as I'm talking like this, I'm actually fighting against lies. In people's minds that say no, and I'm saying yes. And you say no, and I say yes. Because let God be true and every man a liar. God is true. And it is muck and bullets, and it's not straightforward, and I know all of that. But it is the truth. Through faith and patience. Through faith and patience. I can testify that. I really, really can. I can genuinely testify that. And I believe the more we take, through faith and patience, the more you taste now, the more your assurance grows. The more you realize this is real. Whereas the more you back off, the less you, the less you come into, the less you inherit in the promises, the more you start thinking, I don't think this thing's for real. The more you back off and you say, do you know what? And you just begin to analyze, the, 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 the more you just get into the diff, totally different zone. Whereas the more you say, I'm going to believe you, God. And you press in and you press in. What you find is, is that through, through, ex, through being in his presence and through saying, I'm believing you, I'm trusting. I really am. You find that I, you taste, the taste becomes more and more. I'm getting more of the Snickers. How much of the Snickers can you have in this life? There's a question. You can't have the whole bar. Dave had one bite. How much can you have? I was pondering this. How much of the Snickers can you have in this life? Oh, I don't know. You definitely can't have it all. 
But I wonder if it's according to your faith. I wonder if there's something about that where God, Jesus is according to your faith. You definitely can't have it all. It's a down payment. But I, I, don't, know that it's, I don't know that it's just kind of like a set 10% across the board. Do you know what I mean? I think there's something about the heart of God that just loves faith. That's why when you read some, about some Christian heroes, you think, how did, they experience, how did they experience that in this age? Maybe they just believed God for it. Maybe they just thought, blow it, you know what? You know? Maybe the fullness is so full that what we think would be 90% is only 5%. Maybe our expectation is so much lower. We've just got to believe God for more. Why not? Why not? Let's let, the, let's let the resurrection that we are experiencing become more and more real in our lives. I just want to urge that as we finish this time. There surely is a day coming where the whole thing will be renewed. And we're living in that in-between age. But I do believe there's so much for us to enjoy now. I really do. I believe it. And, you know, I'm spe- speaking as someone who is kind of like, I don't know, you know, I feel I'm right in the middle of, I feel I'm right in the middle of getting hold of God. I'd much rather be standing up saying this if I felt I was in a place where I was sort of looking back on, 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 on some mighty victory I've just had. Which actually reality is I'm right bang in the middle of it. But I still feel I want to say it. You know, I, I just, I'll be honest with you, I'll finish with this. You know, I, I read and hear about churches that are experiencing such amazing things in God. And I say, God, why not us? That's why I say, God, why not us? And there's 101 reasons why on one level. Do you know what I mean? You can always find reasons why. But then I, if I went there, there'd be 101 reasons why. Do you see what I'm saying? But that church has found a way through in God. And I just think, church, come on. God's done a great thing among us, but I'm so hungry, so much hungry for more. Really, I know, I know, I know you well enough to know you are. And I want to just say, let's, let's let faith grow. And um, let's not become cynical. Let's not, be, let's not be conformed to what's around us. Let's let God transform us, eh? Please, I urge us to let us do that for his glory.